Hello and welcome to episode 216 of Smarts, which, as you know, stands for Swarthy Mando Accepts Ride to Swamp. Ooh. <laughs> Hi. I am your host, Julia Gulia of Internet Fame, Dash Podcaster, and with me, as always, is Trevor, aka Rudiger Q Podcaster. Let's hear it for Trevor. Hello. What was your comic of the week? Okay, I picked Supergirl Annual number two because it was great. What was my comic of the week? Batman. Wrong. Batman Detective Comics. Pop quiz. Pop quiz. Zero out of five. You fail. <laughs> Shows. Whoa, what's up with the fast forward? <laughs> Who hit fast forward on Trevor? Who hit it? It wasn't me. <laughs> so there's no news this week. <gasps> That's a fast forward. <laughs> the dead of winter. Uh-huh. So what was your comic of the week? Supergirl <laughs> annual number two. Yeah, I was, I was sincere in answering that one. Um, yeah, I, I liked a whole bunch of comics this week, but this one stood out for me specifically because of one moment, and it was great. Um. <sighs> Well, the rest of the issue was awesome. It was giving us a glimpse into what Kara's life was like shortly before the tragedy that ended the entire existence of Krypton. Um, but I like the conversation between Supergirl and the Batman Who Laughs because he even said that he didn't even think of her as a candidate for Kryptonian. He was aiming for Superman um, because Superman has all the clout and everything else. And he, he kind of like icily jabbed that, yeah, because you're a girl and he's the man. And that's that's how he was thinking about it. But of course, like she actually has more claim to Krypton because she has the memories there. She had a life there. She had... Mm, the majority of her life was actually on Krypton, not on Earth. Um, and it was silly of him not to plan for the eventuality that, or even the uh, the plan outright, that she should be the, the, um, the Kryptonian that he pick. And I just, I kind of like that kind of hashtag feminism acknowledgement that she got underestimated just because of her gender and I don't know it just struck a chord with me and I wanted to it's stuck in my brain so that's why I picked it for my comic of the week very good how about you what'd you so pick so I picked Tale... Detective Comics no was it Batman no was it Batman uh, Beyond no okay you go ahead now. <laughs> I picked Tales from the Dark Multiverse Infinite Crisis number one <laughs> that was a good one too yes so I really enjoyed this because um, it's a period of time in in dc comics when i was really enjoying the stories and everything that was going on and everything was being tied together into the in this really cool way and so seeing the events of that time period i don't even know probably 15 years ago now revisited in this sort of alternate way the sort of what if way mm -hmm. what if ten, ted cord hadn't been killed but instead took over checkmate and averted all of the disasters that were coming before Infinite Crisis except for the main one, but even then kind of averted it and co-opted it. Um, obviously, you know, things are going to end badly because it's the dark multiverse. Right. But, um, but it was cool to see things play out differently and the, the attention that was paid to... Um, I mean, this is James Tynion who wrote this, and of course he, you know, he is, as, as, as I always say, he's part of the same generation that we are growing up. In fact, I think he's even a little younger than us. So these were these what? were these were the formative <laughs> comics for him growing up, much like they were for me. And so he got all the little details right, like characters referencing things that had happened just before, mm -hmm. you know, Countdown to Infinite Crisis, and you know what was going on with Blue Beetle and Booster Gold, and 
Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman, Sasha Bordeaux, Maxwell Lord, you know, Alexander Luther, Superboy Prime, all the all the trappings of that era were all integrated here and all even the characters that show up for the big fight scene at the end or, you know, characters that would have been around then dressed the way they would have been dressed mm-hmm. and all the team rosters were correct and everything. So sometimes when you have these what if stories, people sort of get some of the details wrong. Like mm-hmm. Batman shows up wearing the wrong costume. You're like, wait, that Green Lantern wouldn't have been there. But, you know, he knows all those details because he grew up reading those comics like I did. So. Yeah, no, it was really good. I really enjoyed it. I'm glad you took the time to explain those little nuancey bits to me I think as you well. You would have gotten most of it. I understood what was happening. I just didn't have the story of what actually happened in continuity, so, po- uh, so to speak. So it was it was a richer experience for me after you told well, I me think it's, what happened. I think it's telling. Well, I think it's telling that I don't recall them having to do the same. Maybe they did. But it, they certainly didn't devote as many words or as many pages to it at the beginning of the Nightfall and Death of Superman issues, saying this is how things played out in the world you know. Because everybody knows how Nightfall ended. Everybody knows how the Death of Superman ended. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they just they didn't really need to devote much. But here right. there's like several pages where they're laying out, oh, here's all the characters and here's right. exactly the way things happened. This is all the lead up. Because it was a very complex time in DC Comics because there are all of these many different storylines. Yeah, they did a good job of laying everything out. One. And I, yeah. I appreciate the way it was laid out too. Like you flip a page and the context shifts. You flipped a page and the context shifts. Like it was, it was bucketed very nicely. Um, and that adds to the clarity. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, and I we agree. also read the the Blackest Night one was also really good. And I think they're doing. I think there's at least one more. I know they're doing the Judas Contract is the next one. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's any more scheduled for after that. I mean, those are those are certainly like some of the high points. I and mean, there's many other identity crisis, final crisis. There's a lot of other big stories that they could do and show how they ended differently. You know, um, right. Sinestro Core War, all sorts of different things they could do. So. We'll see if they keep doing them. I think they must be selling well because they keep doing them. I think the whole dark multiverse concept and the characters that came out of that, like the Batman Who Laughs, have proven to be fan favorites. So I think mm-hmm. they'll probably keep doing them for a while. It's, it's sort of a way of doing an Elseworlds what-if style storyline under a under a banner and having, you know, with those things you never, like with what-if or Elseworlds, you never knew. Like Elseworlds was never like really, well, what if this one thing was different? It's like what if Batman lived in Victorian times or whatever, right? Right. But what, the Marvel what-if stuff, you never knew if it was going to have a happy ending or a sad ending, just that things would go differently than they did in the in the world you knew. Whereas with these, you kind of know that they're going to end in tragedy mm-hmm. because that's the way that the dark multiverse works. So in a, in a way, it's kind of a little predictable in that sense, but still just seeing how bad things can get. Yeah. Like the, the even when something as big as the well, the blackest night one yeah. we read it was like oh the the all of existence is going to be wiped out well yes but then it got even worse after that when yeah. when the new existence that came in place was filled with jerks that were based on Lobo and then things so things got even worse after the universe was reset right yeah yeah so yeah <laughs> um so time for your pop quiz Ooh, ready. so uh, instead of a quiz this week I thought we'd go back to something we haven't done in a while which is ranking things <laughs> so okay. since we watched the season finale of Titans this week. Um, I thought uh, th- this Great. week... Great, what we happened? Would... Yes. I'm kidding. <laughs> I thought that we would um, look at characters. So I, th- I thought I broke this into two, so we'll do we'll do more next time. But looking at um, five characters from mostly from the first who were introduced in the first season, then next week we'll get into characters that were more prominent in the second season. And ranking them not in terms of necessarily like your favorite characters on the show, but how well you think they were adapted for the show. Ooh, Okay. So, so this week I thought we'd do Dick Grayson, Raven, Starfire, Beast Boy, and Hawk and Dove as like a duo. Okay. So do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I'll go first. Okay. So which, which of those do you think was the best adaptation? 
Um, I really like Starfire. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, think I, for I me, like her. I like her too, but I'm not sure she would rank super high for me in this along this axis. Why, I why would really like her? her that way because I like the I like the um, the fact that she had amnesia at the beginning of it. So it was it was definitely dark and gritty when we first met her because she she had these powers. She didn't really have a memory, and she seemed to have even less of a moral moral center in terms of setting bad guys on fire like it's nothing you know starfire from the comics is definitely more gentle like she has she 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 can she has all the same powers but she values life in in very much the same way the superman does um her impulses are not are definitely not hey this guy is a jerk let's just kill him but um after after the first couple episodes, her story arc was really, really compelling and her performance is really compelling and I really like her character and I'm rooting for her to even have more powers um, more than anybody else. So I, she's my number one. I, I really like her portrayal and I, I like the way it was adapted for this show. I know, it might be surprising, but she's my number one. So keep going, who's number two? So my number two uh, is Dick Grayson. Um Similar reasons. He's much, much darker, but um, his arc is really good, and his um, his coming into the Nightwing mantle is well earned. Um, I I especially liked him uh, in the last several episodes, where you really see the hallmarks of the Dick Grayson from the comic book coming more into play, and that's why he's my number two. Um, I like Hawk and Dove for number three because I think their their story is really similar to what it was in the comics, um, but it has a more gritty real-life component of, like, the details of their drug abuse, the details of the things that were done to them when they were younger, and the details of just their humanity is really well fleshed out here, and I really dig it. I like them very, very much. Um, and then I, hmm, I like Raven for number four because she's definitely different. I don't think they did her as much service as they did other characters, especially with the Trigon, the Trigon stuff, just because I don't like the direction that they picked. It's completely subjective, but because they didn't serve her antagonist really well, I don't think that they're giving her due pro, um, not due process, but due um, storylines and depth to her dichotomy. Um, I think they're touching upon it, but show, show not tell. You know, like they had one incident of her kind of losing her cool here and there and another incident, and it seems repetitive and not really going anywhere, and I don't think that her character is being served well. Um, and then my last one is Beast Boy, because although I really love his heart and portrayal, I think similar to Raven, they're not really serving her, uh, his uh, story depth either. We don't know anything about his history, like hardly any. Um, we think that, you know, he might have been experimented on in the same way that the rest of the Doom Patrol was um, to save his life. And there's really not a lot more depth going on. Like, it's been long enough so that I would love to see him start to discover different shape-shifting ability or not make the same mistake over and over again, which I b picked a bone with earlier. And um, 
in, in earlier shows. And I just, I think they're not doing as much service to the characters. Now, it's really hard. I should asterisk all of this because it's really hard to serve all of the characters in such a short time frame. And so they've been focusing on the ones that I like a lot more. And that's why I like them more. Um, and maybe that's why they ran out of they ran out of time to do good job by these guys as well, the ones on the bottom. But, and and you never know, they, they might, um, I don't know, for my for my money, they might pick up the slack and serve these characters as well. But the, I, I am enjoying everybody. The, the just, Teen that's Titans my ranking. cartoon from the early 2000s actually did it interesting where each each season would be whatever it was, 13 episodes or whatever. And, and all five of the characters, Robin, Beast Boy, Starfire, Cyborg, and Raven, would get, you know, spotlight here and there, but the season-long arc, to the extent that there was one in, you know, a 13-episode season of a, of a kid's show, but there usually there was one that would be threaded throughout the season and would come to a, a head at the end, would be focused on a different character each season. So the first season was all about Robin versus Deathstroke, basically. Ooh. That was the, that was the spine. Then the second season was a Beast Boy-focused season that was sort of a loose, you know, for children adaptation of the Judas Contract. And then the third season was mostly about Cyborg and him going undercover in, in the Church of Blood. And then the fourth season was Raven and dealt with all the Trigon stuff. So, so each season kind of focused on a different member of the team. And then the other members would have spotlights here and there and, and moments. But the over, each character sort of got an overarching arc over the course of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see them maybe doing something similar here, where the first season, I think Dick Grayson is obviously the going to probably get an arc every season because he's if you have to pick one headline character, he's probably the one. But the first season was probably most about Raven's arc. I think you would say she's probably the second most important character in the first season. This season kind of was a bit more evenly split, but I think maybe you could point to maybe some of the newer characters, like I think you know Donna mm-hmm. and. Rose and Connor maybe got the most arcs this season and but the, the others still had stuff to do but yeah I, mean, I think they're focusing on I think they're sort of taking turns and rotating through so maybe Beast Boy will get more stuff next season I think for my part I think I'd have to rank Hawk and Dove number one mm. just because I feel like um, there, were, there was probably the most successful adaptation of the, sh- of the characters in the comics because their, their they attitudes they were the truest their yeah. attitudes and their relationships are, are very similar um, but the, everything was just sort of amped up and made, you know, grittier and darker, yep. but without losing what made them interesting in the in the comics. It just sort of, it was additive, you know? Right, like, yes. This mm-hmm. is, it's like if you it. said, okay, what would these characters be like in quote-unquote the real world or in a more adult drama? This is exactly what you would get. There's not a lot of unnecessary additions or subtractions. It, it felt like, oh, this is an interesting extrapolation of them. It's not, it didn't feel the need to change too much, you know? Mm-hmm. I think number two, I would put Dick Grayson, um, in kind of the same way, like I know that we were kind of mixed on him in the first season, but I think with the benefit of hindsight, whether they knew that they were going to do this arc over two seasons or not, I feel like it was paced in retrospect in such a way that it felt believable, his growth and his change and his sort of lightening up and everything where he finally becomes Nightwing. Um, and the things that they added or changed, like him being a police detective mm-hmm. or him having this more antagonistic relationship with Batman, those were all things that were true at one point or another in the comics, but in the long arc of the character in the comics they come across as being, oh yeah, that was the period where he was mad at Batman and that was the period where he was a cop for five minutes where here, this is the only thing we know about this version of him right. is that he seems like he's really mad at Batman all the time and so it started to feel a little like omnipresent, like this is all we're getting from him but as we got more and more, I think it sort of balanced out more mm-hmm. nicely. Um, I think I'd have to rank Beast Boy and Raven like tied for number three <laughs> just because I feel like they're pretty much like straight out of the comics with the exception of Raven being a bit more of a normal girl because she was 
he or she right. grew up in the real world, mm-hmm. as opposed to growing up in the Azeroth dimension and trying to sort of fit in as a human girl. But aside from that difference, they pr- are pretty much straight out of the comics. And, and what's interesting about them and what's not as interesting about them are pretty much identical to the comics. Where mm-hmm. I feel like Beast Boy here is like, yeah, he's he's an interesting guy and he's fun and he's, he's sweet and he's nice to have around. But he's not like super deep and there's not really like a lot of interesting stories that are normally told with him. But again, that's just like the comics. So I feel right. like, you know, <laughs> like unlike, but what I'm saying is unlike with Hawk and Dove, where, they, I, where I felt like they extrapolated them to an interesting place and added interesting elements, mm-hmm. Beast Boy and Raven are pretty much straight out of the comics with all the pros and cons that come out of that. Okay. I think I would have to put Starfire fire last just because while i like the her character on the show to me it's a very different character than the comics her Mm, attitude is very different the way she carries herself is very different the way she acts in every situation is very different her backstory is the same and her heart is similar but pretty much everything else about the way she behaves the way she looks the way she dresses like everything else is and i know that some of those are minor things but they additively they add up to being a character which is almost a completely different character aside from the fact that she's a space princess who right. has who has energy powers that are based on the sun that's really everything else everything else has changed which is fine because she's maybe i mean i like her character in the comics but she was never the deepest character like what was kind of unique about her was that she was in some ways like very naive and and new to the world and everything else. Mm-hmm. But that was juxtaposed with the fact that she had this terrible background where she was sold into slavery and experimented on. So it was an interesting juxtaposition. Um, but here they kind of, I don't know, they, they changed her a lot. So I do like her character on the show, but to me it's almost a very different character mm-hmm. than the comics. So mm-hmm. if you're ranking it in terms of like successful adaptations, I think I'd have to put Hawk and Dove at number one, then Dick Grayson, then Raven and Beast Boy sort of tied for third, and then Starfire last. Which is not to say I don't like her character. I just don't think it was a successful or interesting adaptation. Right. Um, so next time we'll talk about uh, Jason Todd, Donna Troy, Superboy, Ravager, and Aqualad. Nice. Okay? Okay. So you can look forward to that and start planning it. <laughs> I know you like to meticulously plan for these I podcasts. do. I absolutely do. Um, what? Oh, we're recording already? Oops. All right. So let's talk about our shows. Okay. Uh, so this week we have Star Wars Resistance. Flash, Arrow, Black Lightning, Titans, Harley Quinn, Yay. and The Mandalorian. Yes. Um, so Star Wars Resistance. Mm-hmm. This was a this was a fun but kind of fluffy episode. I, I agree with people that say that it didn't really add much. It felt sort of inconsequential. Um, it was just sort of an excuse to have some racing in space, you know, acrobatics and stuff. But it didn't really yeah. shed any new insight into I the agree. characters or add anything to the overarching story or forward. No, not really. But it threads. was fun hearing John DiMaggio... <laughs> do voice a hut. Yeah, uh, that was there's great. Certain, like, there's, there's a certain like vocal flutter he has. Yes, when his when voice gets really deep and croaky, yeah. that I sort of train myself to recognize. <laughs> I know it's um, familiar to me too. <laughs> so I really enjoyed this episode of Flash. So this was the last temptation of Barry Allen, part one, to mm-hmm. be continued in, in this week's final pre-crisis episode. Um, I thought this was effectively done. Like it, it seems like it's a, it's not an easy thing to take such a sweet kind-hearted character and kind of at least semi-believably with the with the caveat of like oh he's being influenced by Ramsey's powers and so he's probably not in his right mind yada 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 but even so even with all those caveats to believe solid believably take him to a place where he would like agree to give in to this guy even Mm -hmm. with the speed force and the guise of his mother right there telling him not to and listing all the reasons why he shouldn't but I felt like, and I think a lot of it is on Grant Gustin too, and just him feeling like increasingly, you know, 
angry. Way, way down and mm-hmm. angry and manic and, and distraught and tearful and everything else. And, and finally angry and, and, and submissive and injustice, everything. You know what I mean? Like, how do you say? Wronged. That's what yeah. it was. But yeah. by the end, he was. But I, f- I feel like they struck a really good balance between things that he would believably maybe feel in his weakest moments mm-hmm. and things that you could really never really see him saying. And so you can see the influence of Ramsey in there. Yeah. Like, we know. He played it so well. We, we know because he said it many times. And one of the things that makes him different from someone like, say, Oliver Queen is that he he loves being the Flash and he's thankful that he got these powers because it allows him to help people and do good and it's allowed him to create this family for himself and bring him so much happiness and everything else, right? Mm-hmm. He's like Superman that way. He wouldn't, you know, like versions of Superman that are like, oh, woe is me, these powers. Like that's not Superman and that's not the Flash. The Flash loves to be the Flash, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. when he says, you know, this was something that was done to me. I didn't ask for this. Like that's true, but I feel like in his right mind, he wouldn't really say those things in that way because that's not, you know, that's not right, really right. how he feels about it. But in this moment when he feels like he feels like the whole universe is conspiring against him, right? Like he finally has the life that he wants and the family that he wants. And, you know, they're planning for, you know, they're going to have Nora eventually and yeah. everything is would be, will be perfect. And now it's like now you have to die and it's faded. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And yeah. the speed forces of no help. The speed force is telling him it has to happen. And here's this guy saying, actually, it doesn't have to happen, you know? But he's not being given all the information because he doesn't know he's going to become a blood zombie, presumably, right? Even yeah. though the Speed Force tells him that, he doesn't quite believe it because of the circumstances. I felt like it was, I felt like it was well done, you know. And yeah. and so we got one final episode, and I, I think you know, he'll obviously, he'll, I think he's going to come out of this, you know, next Just week, fine. and then he'll be off into the crisis. But yeah, so I, I think it was, I think it was well done. I thought those scenes were well done. Agreed. I think having the Speed Force Avatar be his mother is a good idea. That they, they, they used it before but i think it's a good idea because it's and it and it it works well here because it furthers barry point of barry's point of the speed force just like you're not my mother you're just taking your form to manipulate me which is true yeah right yep like they might have it might have i say they i know what you want to what pronoun you want to use (laughs) the speed force might have the best of intentions but the fact remains why why else why take that form to manipulate him emotionally right i mean it's when when looked at it that way even positively even with a positive motivation it's still a form of manipulation yeah um, so I, I re- yeah, go I ahead. Really, I really, I wanted to highlight some um, parts uh, that didn't have Barry Allen in it, which were um, with, with, uh, what's her name? <laughs> Nora's mom. Oh my God, Iris, Iris. And uh, her, her storyline was really nice and yeah, compelling too. Yeah, that was too. interesting I really, too. Yeah, I thought it was nice that she was forming a solid mentor-mentee relationship. <laughs> I love the joking that they did with, um, with, with the photographer girlfriend of Camille? Cisco's. Yes, Camille, Camille. No, that's not Camille. Camilla. Camilla is Camilla is Joe's wife. Is no, no, that's um. You're, Cecile. You're very very, con- very Cecile. Confused. Yes. Remember that Camilla has the K. Is it Camilla oh. or Camille? I can't remember. But the K necklace we we joked about right. a couple of weeks ago. That's Cisco, <laughs> right. Thank Cis- you for that's Cisco's girlfriend, the photographer. Right. Camilla. Okay. Yes, you're right. Camilla. Then um, Allegra is the uh, the new girl, right. the cub reporter. Do we have her superhero name yet? Do you know anything about her from the she's comics? she's a new character. I'm not even sure if Alter Violet is a character from the... Uh, that's a name that I've heard before. But oh, it's I probably... Think it it's a terrible a movie. Yeah, yeah that could be what I'm thinking of. Yeah. I think that's what you're thinking of. Um, no, but... Uh, ta-da. Um, I really like the relationship that's forming between all of them. I love that Allegro was the one that made Iris face... Um, that scene that they had in the office was just so clutch. I mean, yeah, Iris, Iris scene. didn't even have much dialogue in that scene, but she, she acted the heck out of it. You know, she made me feel all the feels. Um, and I love that they were on scene together and, uh, Camilla was like, yeah, I know, <laughs> um, Cisco used to be the vibe. <laughs> and, um, 
just the three of them being together and working together it was it was nice it was nice to see them doing it and the most important thing is that they didn't dredge on the identity of who came back as Barry because Iris knew in just one yeah, half like of a conversation yeah. boom and I just I love that moment I love that they wrote that moment I love that they know that a husband and wife as tight as they are would know and I just love that they acknowledged it and didn't drag it out and <sighs> nailed it. Nailed it. Perfect 10. <laughs> Perfect 10 dismount. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. I also really enjoyed Arrow this week. Yeah, uh, me too. This one was called Reset. So this was kind of like a one-off, <laughs> of, almost like a little bottle, bottle episode <laughs> yeah. um, where the whole premise is that the monitor is kind of giving a gift yeah. to Oliver and Laurel by letting them say good. So for Laurel, it's kind of letting her say goodbye to her quote unquote father. And for Oliver, it's a lesson. It's a lesson to accept his accept fate. death, accept the, you know, the, imper- the impermanence of things. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, I feel like they've been doing a really good job this season, giving all the characters like a send off, a victory lap, you know, from yeah. from um Malcolm and Moira and Tommy in the season premiere to Thea to Katana to Roy right. now to um now Quentin. to Quentin. Yeah. Um I guess they really are the only big character that they haven't brought back yet this season is Deathstroke, right? Like can you think of any other characters? They even had um they even had uh, Prometheus. They I even mean, had Adrian Chase in, in his Earth Two version, right? Shadow. Uh, Shadow, Shadow was, would be a stretch. She was more of a minor character. But she was important though. But yeah, I'm just thinking I can of understand. characters who were like series regulars for a oh, while, and well, I think the Deathstroke might be the only one that they haven't brought back yet, unless I'm forgetting someone. They brought Curtis back too. You know, yeah. I'm trying to think of people who were regulars that aren't regulars anymore, and I, de- I think that Manu Bennett might be the only one I'm, that they haven't used yet. They might not be allowed to though, because there might be some weird thing about well, he's on Titans now, and we don't want to confuse people, or I don't know. So you never know. I know that they've had trouble getting permission to use Deathstroke Am periodically. I something. Who's he playing on? No, because Manu. the Destro character is oh. on Titans this season. Sometimes there's that weird corporate interference. I thought thing Manu going. Bet it was on Titans. I was like, I've seen no. all the episodes. Because I know <laughs> that after after the first the first couple of seasons where he was a regular, it was hard for them to get permission to use him as a guest star Understood, again because yeah. the character is popular and being used elsewhere. So I don't right. know if they're going to get to have him back one more time or not. I think there's going to be some stuff in the next episode that will at the very least sort of nod to that character. Right. I don't want to give away too much. I've seen some, you know, oh. I've seen some of the publicity photos. But I, but I don't know if they're going to actually have the actor back or not. I know that in the past it's been a surprise when they did get him back. So I don't know. Aside from the episode that was literally called Deathstroke Returns, that one wasn't much of a surprise. <laughs> um, the the only so I really enjoyed this. I thought it was I thought it was good. I thought it was well executed. I thought it was I thought the actors did a great job. Yeah. I thought Paul Blackthorne did a great job, and it was a great send off for his character. It was, it was sweet. I mean, you never know. Wonderful. We could see him again. Like he could show up in, in Legends of Tomorrow. To, to you know because one of his daughters is still heck Green Arrow and the Canaries is going to have Laurel's yeah, continued adventure so yep. we could show up there as a ghost or a dream or whatever right so we might see him again um, but the same is true of any of these characters right as long, so long as this universe continues these characters and actors could continue to show up sure. in the future as guest stars or even, exactly. or even recurring cast members mm-hmm. the only qualm I have against it is so it was cool to have Lila there throughout the episode and you're like at first, she just seems like she's not part of the loop, and then we kind of realize that she is. She's kind of right. she's kind of like there Overseeing to oversee it. everything. Um, but she comes to Oliver at the end, and she's like, "Okay, here's why the monitor did this." So she kind of leads him to realize it himself. Yeah. And then he's like, "Oh, I see." And and she and he's like, "Oh, everything that he's all all these things that he's 
he's been manipulating me as a way of testing me mm-hmm. and all these things. Even when I thought I was working against them, that was part of his plan to bring me to this point. Mm-hmm. And she's like, that's right, exactly. And then he appears, then he wakes up with Laurel on the NU at the end. Yep. And he's like, oh, the monitor isn't what we thought we was. he was. He turns out he's a good guy after all. And Laurel's like, okay. And I'm like, that's that's a bit of a... Like, Jump. You've been spending four or five episodes Trying working against this, this guy. guy yeah. And now you kind of come to this conclusion and Lila, who you know is biased because you know that she's working with the monitor already, right. confirms your new line of thought and you immediately... All your doubts are gone about this guy. That's That seemed a little sudden. You know what I mean? Like... I can see I his lot. Like I, I think the show is telling us that Oliver's revelation is correct, obviously, and we know right. that the Monitor is a, is overall a good guy because mm-hmm. we know that he's not the villain of the crisis. But it does seem like for Oliver, given where he was and everything that he's been up to for the past few episodes, that seemed like a bit of a sudden change of heart for him. As far as his, I feel like he would have needed more convincing. It's not the kind of thing he would have come to on his own, yeah, and then immediately been super I had a little it. bit of doubts myself too because like they, the the dominators messed with their minds in a similar way yeah it could have been they and could be he knew that yeah. Yeah, exactly this and could be the, exactly the same thing none of this is real presumably right. I guess yeah so how does he know that so that seemed a little not contrived necessarily but I felt like they could have had him come to that revelation in some other way you or know, have the monitor himself show up and explain why he's done the things that he's done and right. that convinces Oliver but to have Oliver come to the conclusion himself with really no prompting, mm-hmm. and then immediately be super convinced of his new opinion just seemed a little out of nowhere to me. I think also it would have been really cool to have them wake up or have him wake up and Laurel is already sitting at the edge of her cot because she woke up first. I don't know. That, for me, is just a little filmmaker note that I would have... I would have. They could have had the same exact conversation, but the fact that uh, she she got out of the trance earlier and they woke up at the same time... That, I don't know. It just, uh, that that took me out of them. That made me bump on it. That's all I'm saying. So Black Lightning this week. This oh, was wait, a, hold on. I have one more thing. <laughs> For all of you filmmakers out there, it, rewatch the scene between Lila and um, Oliver Queen at the end before they wake up. Before he, yeah, before they wake up. Um, and you'll see a microphone in one of the shots. <laughs> so enjoy that. That's yeah. a gift from me to you. <laughs> So Black Lightning this week, this one was good. This continues to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, things are progressing. The yep. the uh, Everything is sort of coming to a head. I'm not sure I have a lot, a lot to say about it because it's sort of the same storyline continuing just with tensions being ratcheted up and allegiances sort of shifting. Yep. Um, yeah, no, I, th- I thought this was a good yeah. episode. I yeah. don't really have much to say about it, though. Um, so, well, let's talk about the let's talk about the Mandalorian before we talk about our, our other couple of shows because we've got a finale and a premiere, whereas the Mandalorian is just another episode. So, okay. um, so but it's such a good episode. Yeah, this is a really good episode of the Mandalorian. So this is like their Seven Samurai yes. riff, which of course, which is is only fitting because Star Wars, a lot of Star Wars owes a lot to this, Kurosawa right. films, particularly The Hidden Fortress, is one where George Lucas, the structure of the first Star Wars movie is kind of lifted almost. Not, I'm not saying it's plagiarism. I mean that's. He was Lucas was very upfront about the fact that there was he was lifting a lot of the structure from Kurosawa movies, a lot of the mythic aspects from Joseph Campbell, and a lot of the um, the space setting stuff from things like Flash Gordon and the movie serials of his youth, you mm-hmm, know, and sort mm-hmm. of mashing them together. Um, so it, you know, nothing wrong with that. But here, it's this is very clearly like a Seven Samurai mm-hmm. riff where you have the Mandalorian and um, Gina Carano's character. What was her name? Cara Dune. Um, basically being hired by some space villagers, space farmers to protect themselves from 
raiders. Mm-hmm. Um, they got to train the villagers how to fight with sticks and yep. use martial arts and shoot weapons. Um, and it. set traps and everything. <laughs> Meanwhile, Baby Yoda is being adorable, <laughs> being uh, becoming part <laughs> of the town. So the so the only thing that I the only thing and that, we saw Lothcat. Don't forget yeah, that. Yeah, there was a Lothcat. It's so good. So the the only thing I was a little confused by here. Maybe they'll explain it. And I saw some people say it doesn't really matter. It's just like it's a MacGuffin. But the there was a the bounty hunter that showed up at the end that almost shot Baby Yoda. He had a fob. He was yes. presumably and the Mandalorian is like, oh, he's he was he was right. tracking the kid. How was he tracking the kid? Because if how does fo- anybody? Uh, how does any fob? Well, that's function? the question. Yeah. If the fobs function by tracking the yeah. target because the target has some sort of tracker or chip on them, the Mandalorian would know that because that's his job is right. the bounty hunter. Yep. If that's how the fobs work, then he would know that you can't just take him to some planet and not expect people to follow because he's still being tracked by the fobs. If that's not how the fobs work, then how did that bounty hunter find him? Was it coincidence? But no, it's not a coincidence because he had the fob that was blinking, right? Mm-hmm. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. So without knowing how the fobs work, because I've seen people speculate, well, maybe... Um, because did the did the did Baby Yoda was he in the Empire's clutches was he in Werner Herzog's clutches and then he was stolen by those people that were keeping him captive in the first episode or had had Werner Herzog never gotten a hold of the Baby Yoda before and he wanted to get him for the first time I think he wanted to get him for the first time so how is he being tracked then because I'm like if the because em- that's the other thing is that originally there was no fob for this one do you remember the entire Werner Herzog scene took right. place because there was no fob for him. Right, but but as soon as but if you remember in the second episode, as soon as the Mandalorian stole Baby Yoda from from yeah. the lab, yeah. all the fobs of every bounty hunter in that bar started going off. And right. I kind of figured then it was because maybe the Empire, like Werner Herzog, pushed a button mm-hmm. saying, you know, Baby Yoda has been stolen. It wasn't anything that was being tracked necessarily. Right. It was just the Imperials alerting everybody on the planet to the fact that. This guy's gone rogue, right? Right. But now it seems like I thought it was. I thought it was a th- those fobs went off for him for the Mandalorian. Yeah. Yeah. So you could kind of read that either way. But now, but now this this bounty hunter in this episode had a blinking fob, and he was putting a beat on Baby. And Yoda. the Mandalorian said, "Oh, they're tracking. They're, they can track the kid." Right. He had like a line like that. So so maybe this is him realizing that he that he was impl- maybe the Imperials implanted him with a tracker because they had him in the lab for See, like a again, day. Right? We can't know that. You know why? Because that far in advance, like maybe everybody's genetic material is a matter of public record. But uh, but I'm you know saying, what I mean? I'm saying like, it doesn't mean that I'm, they can have a tracker that just easily removed. No, I, I think know. that. But I'm saying if it if it is something system, like systematic like that, like this is what just the way the world works now, the right. Mandalorian would know that, and he yeah. would know it wouldn't be so easy to just lay low that they would Disappear. still be able to track him. So it must be something unique to this situation that he's not aware of, which is why I'm thinking that maybe the Imperials implanted Baby Yoda with something in that like few hours where the Mandalorian thought he was going to leave him there before mm-hmm. he came back. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the only thing I could think, but I feel like that needs to. Hopefully, that'll be clarified in the next episode because I don't know. It's it's not important, but if the whole thing is going to be about the Mandalorian taking Baby Yoda on the run, mm-hmm. I kind of like to know how they're being followed and why. You know what I mean? Like right. how that's how that's supposed to work. I feel like it's kind of important. I do. I, it's I not agree. really important, but it's the kind of thing that because if you remember the original episode where uh, the Mandalorian finds the baby, the first episode, the premiere, he. Only has a limited set set of data. You're looking for yes, something I, I that's male. There was you're no fob. For... Werner Herzog right. even said, "Oh, there's no fob for there's this no one. Fob this for is this like one. off the books, you know." Right. The, it doesn't exist. But here's the limited yeah. age range and everything else. So, so by why then, now are ex- they able to? I that's why I extrapolated that it's like genetically tied to somehow. Maybe where yeah. 
Because remember, like when he's in the town, he's doing scans through buildings, through walls, through everything with his Mandalorian tech. I think that was just and like he heat was, signatures. I or understand, something, no. but how come? Uh, but it must have been more than just heat signatures because he was detecting that there were bodies inside, but that there was one body, one life form in there, fifty years old, and that's what he was tracking. Do you remember this? Now, how could you tell something like I don't that from far that, away? But okay, I, that could be right. And and so that, that doesn't was make in, much sense. That's what I'm telling you. Like, yeah, exactly. But I mean. Technically, life cell, I mean, uh, cellular data can be, I don't know, pretty, pretty specific. You can read telomeres or something. Well, yeah, exactly. Know. Or his mitochondrial information or something. And they're, you know, calculating the half-life. Oh, this entity has been around and breathing life um, for 50 years. You know, that's something that's on your cells, no matter what your life expectancy is, like his, like Yoda species is. So they were able to tell his age and that there's a life form in there. So I, that's what I assumed that this technology was about. Um, that it's not a tracker that's implanted in you. That's a, it's actually like a matter of encoding something that you're looking for and then putting that on yeah, the fob. If, if that's a, if that's all it is, then you make it sound like something where you wouldn't be able to see it unless you're like pointing your little scanner at it. So how did this other bounty hunter follow them halfway across the galaxy to a planet? But that's exactly it. Like one one of them guessed right. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. Like millions of planets. I know, but as you get closer, though, as you get closer, though, the fob becomes more effective. And so, like, this is this is what set the Mandalorian apart. Hold on, because this is exactly what set the Mandalorian apart. Like, he didn't have all the information, but he we got to see the process. He was a tracker first. He 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 didn't use. Yeah, I know. Ha ha. But I'm saying like that's like space Rudy. (laughs) Yes, he went for the the goal, the finish line, or whatever it is, the touchdown. I don't know. I'm gonna stop. (laughs) That's exactly how it works in Notre Notre Dame football. Yes. Go go for the finish line. Sorry. Oh, I used to know about football. Heck, I played football once in a while. Anyway, um, um, I um, yeah, you you threw me off my train of thought. But the point is that they had they had mm, the beginning phases were just a matter of tracking and guesswork and detective work to find out where your target might have gone. And then the fob gets you the rest of the way. Something more detailed, like okay, I I s- presume from witness accounts that they've hit this town. Now it's time to use the fob and figure out exactly what building they are taking shelter in. And after yeah. all that initial work, the fob gets you the rest of the way. And that's why his fob was beeping in the forest, because whatever it was that got him to that planet, I don't think was related to the fob. So don't don't extrapolate because that would that would negate everything. Right. That means that across universes, you're able to get a pointed arrow as to where your bounty is. There would be no bounty hunters. Just the robots could go do the job like at that point. You know what I mean? There has well, to the be robots that. are doing the job. Yeah, <laughs> some of them. Taika Waititi in the first episode. Was I know a robot sent. To I know, but job. I'm saying that there would be no uh, th- there would be no need for a bounty hunter because the robots would be effective 100 percent of the time. Yeah. Anyway, so anyway. it doesn't really matter. Um, but it does, though. I like this kind of Asimov la- I just, level it, it of is, science. It is kind of a MacGuffin, though. Like, yeah. it's, it's this yeah. series it is about like the tone mm-hmm. and the atmosphere and the the characters it's not it's sad that the baby is exactly how he's being tracked is not super important like just like the the, exactly how the death star plans work in a new hope is not that important it's just something to propel the story so it it doesn't really matter so so titans the season finale of titans yes so how did you feel about this one i'm curious because i i have i have thoughts about this one i had mixed feelings but on the whole i like it it was nice to see everybody back together it was awesome to see uh, Dick Grayson in the Batwing. Batwing. Oh my god, no. Batwing's a different uh, character. Yes, I know. That'll, I be, on, that'll be like Batwoman season three. I know, I know. Batwing. I hope so. Season two. I hope. Season two. Come on. Um, 
although realistically probably season three but um yeah no i i like that scene between him and deathstroke i like that we got to see jericho saved for all intents and purposes i like that we saw uh ravager come into her own and kick (laughs) her father's butt although his death seemed a little innocuous for all of the hype that we know about him and for all of the amazing um prowess that he has that Deathstroke has he's amazingly hard to kill so his daughter whose butt he kept kicking all this time was able to come back with such a strong yeah, well, it was and simple a two of kind of death I mean they're yeah, two that's of the true. best that's fighters true. in the in the world okay so. that's fair that's fair yeah so I mean I yeah so I I, I agree with that I'm do you have more did you have more um, I really like the Raven I'm and to sort of sorry. Spill it all at once. <laughs> I know I'm trying to get uh, um, my all my thoughts and then just let you run. Um, I I also really like the scenes between um, the the Raven and um, also what's her name? Gosh darn it! We were just talking about her Starfire. Yes, Starfire's um, issues are coming to head, so we're we're gonna find out more about that as it happens. And I just I really enjoyed the the redemption arc or the coming back to and the saving of um superboy and uh gar so that was that was just 100 percent great um and i like the little scenes too i think my favorite scene has got to be the meal with bruce wayne uh that was definitely top notch all around i love it all and the one thing that i had a problem with was how stupid donna troy's death was that was dumb that was so very dumb. I also think that it would have been more impactful if she had gone there at the same time that Superboy had. So you could see the difference between their powers. Because he, I don't know where, where was Superboy standing at this time? Like he was there. He was fine. He was fixed. He was saved. Where was he? Why wouldn't he jump into to doing the same thing and catching the electrifying tower as well? And I think it would have been interesting if both of them had a hand in saving the thing. And then she died because she doesn't have his power set. Um, but she risked it all anyway. Like that would have been would, better earned. It might have been think. a bit more problematic. You know? No, like, I this don't. This way she gets to go know, out like a sacrifice. If if a if a man and a woman catch the same That's thing, maybe, but the man is able to survive it. So, and the but woman here's isn't the them. thing, though. I think they earned it. I think they earned it because his power set, he's still coming into his own and he still wants to be a hero. And for all he knows, he could have been dead too. Um, And that's fine by me because he's kind of like, he's, I don't know, there's just not that misogynistic tone. She's definitely established herself as a, as a powerhouse. And I just don't feel like that would diminish her death. I think think it would make her sacrifice a little more It's a little contrived, but it's the way it is. You know, when you get like someone has to jump in front of the bullets, whoever like saw it coming first, it doesn't necessarily mean that she was faster or stronger or better than he was it's just she happened to be the one person who reacted in that moment because of they her couldn't more, give him some I, her greater experience I feel the like fact they that she given... just was literally facing a different direction than he was yeah. it's just, you know like somebody's got to be somebody's got to catch the thing you yeah know what it's I mean? just like, not my favorite i, I understand why did batman solution. do that and the flash didn't well like he saw it first or he happened yeah. to be closer or whatever like you know it's just you, you can't get hung up on things like that sometimes. But, I know, I know. But, but I, what was I, the rest of your opinion? So, uh, well, I pretty much agree with everything you said. So overall, I liked it, but my two main issues were that I feel like Deathstroke was dispatched not just too easily, but too quickly, like within the first few minutes of the episode when he mm-hmm. was built up to be... I mean, if you co- going into this episode, you were like, okay, Deathstroke and Cadmus, yeah. two big threats of this season, which is going to take up the bulk of the running time of this final episode. I probably would have said, Deathstroke. well, it might be close to 50-50, but maybe like 60-40 Deathstroke to Cadmus or something mm-hmm, like that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
and instead it was like the 595 yeah. like so i felt like that was that was quick I, so i felt like that was quick like almost they had too much too much story mm-hmm. and not enough episodes or something that, yeah. that felt too quick that could have been a whole extra episode of the team coming together to fight deathstroke i know um and then the other thing that i wasn't crazy about was the donna thing um where <laughs> i didn't have any problem with the logistics and it you know it's a very heroic way to go out but it just felt it felt like it kind of came out of nowhere yeah like yeah Mm-hmm. It's not like it's not like she had a fear of falling things, and now she's overcoming her fear by catching this. Like, it, not that sometimes it was just the dumb death. Sometimes yeah. it can be poetic when a character goes out like, like facing a fear. Like there's a character or overcoming that, something character that even dies more at the, at the, at the end of season six of Buffy, and it's completely out of the blue and random. But that's what makes it powerful because it's the capriciousness of fate and death, right? Right. That can be powerful. But usually I feel like you want to have a character when a when a, a major character goes out, you want to have it feel like it's in some way like the culmination mm-hmm. of their not that because this is not the way real life works. People just die for no reason all the time, right? But in fiction and ongoing storytelling, you kind of for it to feel or for it to feel like genuine and powerful to the audience, you kind of want to have it be built up to Usually, you know what I mean? Yeah. It feels like the culmination of you the wanna... character's arc in such a way that it doesn't just feel like, oh, like, because like you said, that could have been anyone. Right. Like, Haw- I thought Hawk was going to. Yeah, I thought so too. Just to save the woman he loves, who yeah. now has, uh, now doesn't want anything to do with him, but right. he's still going to sacrifice himself to save. I thought he was going to throw himself, push them out of the way and. Ha- and be that, squished. And that would have felt. Earned. Earned and appropriate because that's the culmination of his arc, right? To be yeah. self-sacrificing for this woman he loves yeah. and be selfless, right? Right. Whereas to- Donna's always been self-sacrificing and selfless yep. and strong and all these things. That, that's not, her death, not the day I think at the her, office for can her. Can I make a prop- proposition? I hate to interrupt, but can I make a proposition? Well, it's not permanent. No, I know. Oh, yeah, probably not permanent. They Going forward from here, here. absolutely, yeah. that'll be next time. No more time. permanent than it was in the comics. Uh, agreed. But here's my thinking, is that it would have been more interesting or more earned better if she were killed by Deathstroke yeah. in that fight. So I you know why? Because, same thing. because she has the biggest pwn to pick with him. He killed well, her, exactly. the person if, he uh, loved. If Aqualad is the first Titan he kills and Donna is the last because they were sort of star-crossed lovers, yeah. that would have felt appropriate. Even so, I think there's some of that in there. Like their their troubles started when Garth was killed. And now they sort of come out into the light at the end, even after, like, in the right. wake of Donna's death. Like, yeah. There's sort of a symmetry to, like, the first Titan that died and now the, the last. The last Titan, yeah. And it the, being the two that were a couple. It kind of works, but I agree it would have worked better if it were Deathstroke or in some way related to that. But th- those two things being said, I think that, that everything else around that was great. Like, the, the Nightwing appearing and the fight with Deathstroke was good, even if the end of it was a little sudden. The whole thing with Jericho going into Rose and all the things that could mean for the future was yeah. cool. So I thought that even though Donna's death felt sudden and out of nowhere, I thought that everything that came out from that was great. Like the conversations between Dick and Bruce, the scene around the table, like yes. you said, mm-hmm. the way the characters were all thing, the way that the way that I thought that they did it, they struck a good balance between the characters grieving over Donna and being obviously sad about it and beating themselves up to various degrees, but at the same time ending on the sort of hopeful note that the ser- that the, the season had to end on because it's all about Dick becoming a more inspirational figure and bringing the team back together. It had to end on that note of them all proudly walking out side by side as a team for the first time in however long, right? right. It had to end on that, and I feel like they did a good job of striking the balance between the sadness over Donna's death 
and and giving that the, its due while still having the characters be like, you know what? She died and she was our friend and we're going to miss her, but we're not going to let it stop us from being a team the way that we let Garth's death break us apart five years ago, right? Right, right? That was supposed to show. There was that symmetry we were talking about about Garth's death and Donna's death. Garth's death broke them up. Yeah. But Donna's death now, they're, they're, they're stronger and wiser mm-hmm. and it's like, this sucks, but we're not going to let it beat us and we're still going to be a team. That's the arc of the season. So I think that all that worked and the, all the Cadmus stuff, I thought the way that raven reached gar emotionally mm-hmm. was great i thought the way that that dick reached connor emotionally was great with going into his mind and like busting the wall open there i thought the fight scene between donna and connor was great and all that stuff and all the, the cadmus stuff there i thought the the scenes with um hank and don mm-hmm. afterwards where they were like we're not a couple anymore but are we still hawk and dove i still I thought all that stuff was great the scene between bruce and dick was i'm a sucker for a good bruce wayne yeah Dick yeah scene. So that good. was good i, I love the-, the way it was filmed the three core angles were really really interesting to me through the fireplace you see him over the shoulder and they did this I don't remember there's a proper name for it but there's there's a a trick shot where you film the same scene twice with one character in focus and then another character in focus and then in editing you make you you split the screen effectively with just some trickery or whatever artistic nuance you want to add to it if you want to blur the lines or fuzz the lines or make a stark difference between them it's up to you but um the idea being that both the characters are in focus for the conversation even though you're clearly filming with out of focus lenses so i i like that they chose to do that conversation in that angle there's a proper name for it do you happen to know no i don't know what that is um yeah. I know what you're describing. But yeah, Patrick Williams had a pretty good video about it, and he used the correct term, and I can't remember what it is because I stink with names. Yay! But, um, yeah, that's a film trick. And uh, I just, I really like that scene because when the conversation is, hmm, referencing antagonistic things, then the angle changes to be the more interesting sort of boxed-in angle. And when it's a warmer thing, you see their body blocking change, and it's sort of more open angles and warmth brought back into the frame. It's beautiful. It was part of the storytelling technique, and I really, really appreciated that element as well as their conversation, obviously. So, One thing that I saw some people say, which I, I kind of agree with, I mean, it, I think it works in the context of this show, because Dick was like obsessed with batman and not being batman and being mad at batman for like the first seasons i think it works that they're a bit more intertwined here but that in the comics what part of the thing that was cool about nightwing was that he like broke off from batman and built this identity himself and was his own man here it's like oh bruce's guys build the suit for him you know Mm -hmm. and bruce is there at the end to like you know give him a pat on the back and tell him he did good you know what i mean like it kind of feels like it would have been a bit more powerful if dick was completely on his own for this stuff you know what i mean instead of continuing to use bruce's resources and getting his encouragement and approval not that he needed it necessarily but i felt like having i don't know i I felt like there was maybe a bit too much still dependency at work there you know so I, i maybe would have done that a little differently but i think that the way they set it up you kind of need them to have this emotional coming back together at the end because it was the that's the culmination of his arc here like in the comics the nightwing thing wasn't so at least originally it's been you know retconned over and over again but at least initially it wasn't so much about him being mad at batman it was more just about him deciding like he needed to find his own way Mm -hmm. whereas here from episode one 
the whole thing with back when he was still Robin was the whole thing about him being mad at Batman, right? Right, right. Like F Batman was the line that was in all the trailers, right? Yeah. So yeah. you need them to come come to grips with each other at the end of this. Yeah. Because that's the arc. So you needed him there as a presence. But I feel like maybe just one doing one little thing differently, like maybe having him somehow get to suit himself or something. Like as minor a thing as that is, would maybe have made it seem like, yeah, I built this identity up from the ground up and I, it's nice that you're here to tell me that you approve, but I'm this is my thing, which I wholly own, and I would have done it with or without you. Whereas he would kind of get the sense that, yeah, he would have been screwed without that suit. You know what I mean? Like Deathstroke would have kicked the yeah, crap out of him. Yeah. He didn't have, you know what I mean? Like who knows? Um, so maybe that's one little thing I would have changed. But overall, I think I think that it was – it's too bad that it was marred by those things that I felt like – It was if they, imperfect. If they'd just given it an extra 10 or 15 minutes of running time and fleshed out the beginning fight with Deathstroke and then maybe rewritten some of the scenes around – leading up to Donna's death, like maybe given her one more scene mm-hmm. in, in this episode earlier on to set up like I her also... fear of being electrocuted by falling <laughs> towers or something. I don't know. I don't know. I think I would have liked to see, this is terrible. I think I would have liked to see her die by Deathstroke's hand. No, in that same fight, I think it would have been very interesting if she gave him the beating of his life, yeah. but he's, he's Deathstroke. The problem with that is that this way she goes, she makes the choice to go out and sacrifice herself and She's but not, she didn't know she was going to sacrifice herself. She was just ca- catching a heavy thing, which is kind well, of rote. Maybe she you know? knew it was electrified her. But what I'm saying is, if she's mur- if she's murdered by uh, oh, yeah. a man and the same guy uh, that killed her boyfriend five years ago, that's kind of a sucky way to go out. Which is fine if you want to write it as the character going out in a in an unfulfilling way. But there's this is a bit more, even though it seems sudden and a little bit of a cheap shot for her to go out by the falling electric tower. At least it feels like. She owned it, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. in a way. Like she wasn't taken out by someone else. She decided to jump in front of the bullet, so to yeah. speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it is a bit more empowering in that way, but it's still not great. But at least it's not diminishing of her character in, the, thing, same, in the same way. I least. have one last question about Deathstroke's death. It's um, it's It's been gnawing at me, but it's because he got stabbed and run through by Rose. And that's it. It's a very skinny blade, all things considered. You can you could Wouldn't probably, like, like a regular person. Do enough probably... damage to kill someone with a healing factor? Or right. Something? Yeah, I mean, it would have been better if they'd like cut off his head or run him through yeah. the head or something. Because in the comics, un- unlike Wolverine, who basically can't be killed by anything, mm-hmm. Deathstroke will heal fast. But if you take out like a vital organ or something, like right. you, if you if you rip out his heart or or cut out half of his brain, he can't heal from that. Right. So I feel like that's kind of what they were going for here. But you're right; it did look like the kind of thing that on any other show. A character would just like you'd press a towel against their belly for five minutes, and the next episode they'd be fine. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it did. It's um like, oh, is he dead? Is he, was that supposed to be a killing blow? The way Dick shouted no mm-hmm. made me think that, like, a killing bad if you're in the Bat family. <laughs> B Jericho's in there, which maybe Rose didn't know. Right. So those are the reasons why he was screaming no. But I'm like. It didn't look like she killed him, so why are you so worried? But it gets. And that was another thing is that I would have like at that dinner scene if both. I mean, I think it was yeah, really cool that she was like that, switching back yes, and forth. Yes, like, I think. Yeah, I yeah, think you, do some I can't believe Friday you thought of the same things in the next step in the next season. I, I think know, is. but this is a brother she didn't even know she had, and she saved him. And I think it's really cool, and I, I would have liked to see that pay off. I wonder the if they're going to bring in if they're going to use that as a, a jumping bit. off point to bring in a diff- some new characters in season three that might be able to that like Dick calls in some old favors to bring in some characters from the comics who might be able to help get Jericho a new body or something. Like, 
Do they bring in cyborgs so that cyborg can help, you know, transfer his consciousness into an artificial body? Right. Or do they bring in Lilith or something who might be able to use her, her like, magic powers to create mm-hmm. some... Like, they could use that as a way of, like, introducing some new characters to solve the Jericho problem, right. you know? Because I can't Cause imagine this going the status quo forever. No, it's this just, isn't done. This is only part one. And yeah. she never even met him. Like, if, it was, she, if this was a way of being reunited with her long-lost brother... That would seem like, oh, maybe they could end it that way. She goes off to, like, they achieve some peace together or something as weird as that would be. Yeah. But she's got this guy she never even knew in her head. Like, mm-hmm. they don't feel like it can really stand that way. Um, yeah. So it, we know it's been renewed for season three. It'll probably be a year before we see it. But I feel like they've got... I feel like this season ended in, a, in an interesting mm-hmm. place, which is... And then this shot of them all walking towards the camera and then Beast Boy and Crypto, like, <laughs> ducking yeah, yeah, yeah. between their legs. <laughs> yeah, like, that's the shot that, you know, we all want. So that's as cool that they that yeah, they got there. That was fun. So Harley Quinn. Yes. The first episode of Harley Quinn. So this is... A, so I don't know what you expected going into the show. This is Crap. I expected crap. I honestly you, did. You, 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 <laughs> so, you can be so judgy sometimes. I know. I don't. So I knew it be. was going to be adult which uh-huh. it definitely is yeah. <laughs> um, but i didn't know it was going to have this sort of feel to tone. it like I it's very it, bouncy and comedic and i knew it was going to be an, an adult comedy but and so i knew there was going to be violence and cursing but i didn't know that so much of the humor was going to be character based i thought it yeah. was going to be funny in the way like the harley quinn comics well not this adult can be funny in the way mm-hmm. that they're funny in the sense of like they're wacky and crazy stuff yeah. is happening everywhere yeah. and there's like a an old cyborg Jewish man yeah and the, his his Russian secret agent lover or, and right. a talking beaver and yeah. you know like cra- wacky in the way that the mm-hmm. comics under the Palmiotti and the, the Connor yeah. Palmiotti comics were wacky mm-hmm. um, yeah and Red Tool and that sort of like fourth wall I like breaking the nod. stuff did you see the nod to Coney Island as a far reach but did you no. There was a nod to Coney Island, just a little one. Um, when she was face down in the very beginning, face down on the deck, being squished by Batman after Joker was escaping, and she says, aw, isn't he cute when he's escaping? Um, she was looking under the thing and far off in the distance beyond the, uh, in the silhouette of the skyline, um, into which uh, Joker's submarine was escaping, Um there was the outline of Coney Island. Hmm. Or maybe that was just like Gotham's equivalent of I mean, Stony Island. May- like. Yeah, Stony Island, maybe. I don't know. But that it was there. The, the shapes were identifiable. I, th- I think that the show is going to keep her in Gotham here, unlike the comics, because mm-hmm. the premise here seems to be she wants to become like the queen of Gotham crime and earn her place in the Legion of Doom. Plus, I know that a bunch of other Batman villains are going to be like recurring characters. Like she's going to put her own team of villains together. Yeah. So I think unlike the comics where she moved to New York and, and developed her own supporting cast and characters like Poison Ivy and stuff appear periodically. Um, he, I think that's going to be mostly Gotham based here so that, you know, Joker can continue to show up and right. like Clayface is going to be on the show and stuff like that. And, you know, you don't cast Jim Rash as the Riddler unless you're planning on using more of him, presumably too. And right. Chris, Christopher Maloney is Commissioner Gordon. That's so freaking the, good. the most overworked, haggard, <laughs> completely done with everything version of Commissioner Gordon he's you could so ever hope stained. to see. He's, his clothes are such a mess. He's such a mess. Poor man. <laughs> At first, I'm like, is this disrespectful it. to the legacy of Jim Gordon? I'm like, no, this is like, no, this, this is, is a good version. This is a good extrapolation. I wasn't playing with it. Oh, my God. And, and it's and, the Diedrich Bader version of Batman, like, <laughs> kind of like the same version on Brave and the Bold, where he's basically like the straight man. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and Alan Tudyk as the Joker is great. So what did you think of, so Ka- um, is it Katie? Or Kaylee, what's her name? Katie Cuoco? Is oh, no, that no, how you no. pronounce her name? Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if I'm I never watched Cuoco. Big Bang Theory. Cuoco? I don't know. I don't remember. I don't, I don't, I don't, Is that her? Seen. Yeah. Wait, then who's this lake person? 
that Lake? was in the credits. Um, Her name literally L A K E. That's that's Lake. the actress that's playing Poison Ivy. Oh, Lake. Okay. The the main actress from Big is Bang Katie Theory. Yeah, I thought is, she was is, great. Is Harley Quinn here? I thought I she was great. I think this is the best version of Harley Quinn, just from from an acting from from. I don't want to say acting this because none of the actresses that play like Tara Strong is a fantastic fantastic yes. actress. But I think that Tara Strong and Tara Strong, it's not her fault. She was basically like Arlene Sorkin basically retired from the role and Tara Strong was basically like, okay, come in and do like an Arlene Sorkin impression. Mm-hmm. And Melissa Rauch in the Batman and Harley Quinn movie wasn't really doing an Arlene Sorkin impression, but she was trying to really do the same accent kind yeah, of. Yeah, like, yeah. I don't think she was doing a good a job of it. Mm-hmm. But um, but I think, think that this is the best version voice for Harley Quinn since Arlene Sorkin because it's t- it's totally its own thing like there's yes. some of the same inflections and the pudding and the stuff like that in there but it's not trying to be the same voice over and over you know yes. what I mean mm-hmm. so I, I think that this is I, and that's I, one thing that I think she got a lot of she had to put up a little bit of armor on that front because everybody for the last 30 years has expected Harleen Quinzel to sound a certain way I think that people are sort of primed for it now because it but hasn't now, been exactly. Sorkin for like Almost ten years now that I think that no, I know, but every person sort of since then version. has been doing a sort of yeah, a, but impression. I think a lot of people feel like I do, where it's like people like those other versions, yes. but they see them as sort of like a bit of an imitation, and so they're sure. kind of ready for something new. Unlike and this is good. Unlike like if Kevin Conroy suddenly retired from being Batman, Dude. and someone came in next, and Same not that so. we haven't had other people voicing Batman like Diedrich Bader, yeah. but it's Conroy has always been there doing stuff. If it had always been Conroy and no one but Conroy, mm-hmm. and then he retired. Mm-hmm. And they replace them with someone completely different. Right. That would get people's hackles up. Hackles up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I understand you. if Conroy retired and then you had a bunch of people who were kind of trying to do Conroy. Right. And then someone came in and did something completely different. I feel like people would be kind of more ready for that. And that's what we've got What we've got here. Um, so, yeah, it, it was funny. But the, the, the funny stuff that surprised me wasn't just the funny stuff wasn't the wackiness. The funny stuff was like. The way the actors were bouncing off each other yes. and like talking over each other. I feel like they must have recorded at least some of together. these actors together in yeah. the room, which I know that they always try to do at Warner Brothers Animation, but isn't always possible depending on the schedules. Like a yeah. lot of these actors have busy on camera live action mm-hmm. careers. Yep. So I don't know how possible yeah. it necessarily always is to get those actors together in a room, but I feel like especially. Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy felt like those must have been recorded together because they were like bouncing they were just off each so other funny. and talking over each other what sometimes. The that scene, that scene when she's breaking up with him the first time and Ivy comes in to help her to help her through it and support her through it. Oh my god, that was hilarious because like um, Ivy's Ivy's punching gags of like, oh what the heck! And even in the background at one point, all you hear is a. <sighs> in the background and we know that it's Ivy just kind of throwing her hands up yeah, in the air. It was it was very it was really it was, funny. It was very written. witty. It was a very, very witty, witty script. And I don't yeah. think you you would necessarily I expected it to be adult and violent and wacky and, My jaw dropped. and fun, but I didn't You know what the wacky part witty. is? The f- Frank the flower, the roommate. What is going on? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> the one that ate the flower water was he and voiced then... by cuz I really thought it was oh, going to be Kevin um, Michael Richardson and it was somebody else. <laughs> Uh, Steve-O? What was his last name? It was very, no, it was very unusual last name. <laughs> I don't remember, but um, it, it, it is an African-American comedian actor. So it, it, Yeah, he was great. Yeah, but I don't I don't what remember exactly who name? it was. Well, we'll see these names. I think that's going to recur to that character. So I think we'll I'm, see close. These, I'm close. We'll, we'll I'm close. I know by. it's an E-E-V-O letter combination somewhere well, I'll there. I'll look it up after this. Oh, it's bothering me. Oh, sorry, dude. You did a great job. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I feel like structurally it was really smart too. We have you start off with the caper that goes wrong, yes. and then you have her spend more and more time in Arkham Asylum, and she comes out and she's still willing to go back to him. And then Poison Ivy orchestrates this thing that shows her just how wrong she is. Yep. And she, you know, empowers angry, herself at the yeah. end and beats everybody up and goes. <laughs> Costco up. card. It's so funny. It's just funny. Ah. Uh. Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. good. I yeah. enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. I'm yeah. looking forward to the rest of the series. Yeah. And that's it for our shows. Yeah, so if you want to reach out to us, um, we have many ways wh- by which you can do that. An email address, mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our website is www.smartspodcast.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash smartspodcast. And our Twitter is what? At smartspodcast. That's right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so yes, now it's time for the funny sound. Go. I don't have one. You never have one. How about... Oh, it was hardly discovering her bat. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs>